Now, many of you are probably saying to yourself, Pastor Dennis, this is the first week of Advent. Typically, um, if it's the first week of Advent, shouldn't you be doing a Christmas series? Well, I'm a Reformed purist. (laughs) Those of you that don't know what that means, it means simply this. You know, in the classic Reformed tradition, we do not alter the text one bit. Um, Because we believe that God is sovereign and his truth will always be revealed in any aspect of his word. But um, I will say, having said that, I will say this. Um, It's amazing to me that in the providence of God, the final chapters of Esther are laden with Christmas themes. And we're going to look at those themes over the next four weeks. Um, It's almost like God divinely uh, planned it that way. Um, but uh, you'll see what I mean once we dive into this text. So Esther uh, chapter 6, actually we'll be looking at Esther chapter 6. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inspired word. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the courtyard. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horses be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, And he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, 
is of the Jewish people. You will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's pray. Father, indeed, this is your word, and these are your people. I pray that as the song uh, we just sung says, that you might plant your word deep in us, that we might be changed by it. Holy Spirit, come now and do the work that only you can do. I ask humbly that what we have not, you may give us. What we know not, you may teach us. And what we are not, you may make us. For the sake of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Several years ago, um, there was a viral video online of a skier who um, was just lazily skiing along. And uh, a few moments after the video started, they were using a GoPro. Um, a big bear, a grizzly bear, came from behind a tree, was hiding and waiting for someone to pass by. The grizzly bear started bearing down on the skier. And at that moment, two things happened that was incredibly providential. The first is that the bear slipped ever so slightly. And when it lunged after the skier, it missed just by this much. But the bear quickly recovered. And at the same exact time, there was a decline in slope. And so the skier began to pick up speed. And when the bear lunged again, it completely missed the skier. Now that story is absolutely incredible. And when I watched it, I couldn't believe it. But here's the most incredible part. The skier had no idea what was happening. No idea the whole time. In fact, the skier said that I think it's he or maybe she nearly passed out when they saw the footage. Because they couldn't believe they were so close to death. But then by coincidence, they happened in fact, the skier's exact words were this. I can't believe how fortunate I am. My fortunes certainly changed in the nick of time. Now, you and I know that what the skier saw as just a happenstance was actually a reversal of fortune. That instead of being eaten and mauled alive by this big, terrifying bear, the skier was saved. Now, I mention that for this reason. In this passage, we see two stunning divine reversals. Two absolutely stunning divine reversals. And in both cases, God is the one that's behind it. And what's so stunning about these reversals is that in every case, their fortunes looked set, that there was nothing that could be done. But just in the nick of time, God stepped in. And completely change those fortunes. And let me say this to you today. All of us in this building at some point in our life will experience a reversal of fortune. Each and every one of us. 
it will happen to us spiritually. And either we're going to suffer the fate of Haman or we're going to suffer the fate of Mordecai. That's what the passage tells us today. Now, children, um, I was reading, uh, before I get into my point, I was reading recently that when the story of Esther is read um, and the name of Haman is mentioned, um, there, uh, the children would be encouraged to him, you know, because he is the, he is, uh, the bad guy in the story. So just so you have something to do as I'm, as I'm preaching to help you to follow along, every time I mention Haman, I want you to give a silent little hiss. Yeah, that's what, that's what they did in the story. Now, don't do it so it's so distracting to everybody, but I, I want you to, to, every time I mention Haman, just give out a little hiss in the story. And maybe that'll, that'll help you follow along. So the first one, the first divine reversal I want you to see today is that of Mordecai. Mordecai, notice the divine reversal of Mordecai. If you looked at the end of chapter 5, you will see clearly that Mordecai is in mortal danger. Notice with me in uh, Esther 5.14, uh, Haman's wife, Zeresh, suggested that a gallows be made and Mordecai hanged on it. And this pleased Haman. There we go, right? It pleased him. And so much so that he said, absolutely, let us build this massive gallows to hang Mordecai on. In fact, he was so excited to carry out this evil plan that notice in Esther chapter 6, verse 4, he couldn't wait to go to the king. Even that very night, uh, Esther 6, 4 said this, and the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on a gallows that he had prepared. So excited to have Mordecai die that he went to the king immediately. Now notice how the narrative sets up a tension. And the tension is simply this. Haman's plan to kill the Jews were made public to get Esther to act. But his plan to kill Mordecai is kept private. And we have to ask for what reason. Remember, it's the dead of night. Esther is asleep. Mordecai is asleep. All the Jews are asleep. There's no one that knows of this evil plan. Only one person could possibly know about what's going to take place that can help Mordecai. And that's the Lord God. I love what Old Testament, Ralph, uh, Old Testament scholar Ralph Davis said, that one of his favorite attributes of God is that God is an insomniac. Love that. Because the Bible tells us in Psalm 121, verse 4, that behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. He's a protector of his people. I'll never forget when our children were born. Um, I couldn't sleep. I would get up every 30 minutes to an hour, and you know, I would take my hand and check right underneath their nose to see if they were still breathing. I'd put my hand on their hearts because I wanted to see if their hearts were still beating. Sleep fled me, at least for the first month. And then one day I read this chapter, Psalm 21, and it reminded me that 
when I went back to sleep, God was still awake. And that if God wanted to take my children in the middle of the night, I don't care how much I got up, he was going to do it. The fact of the matter is, beloved, we serve a God who is an insomniac. He never sleeps nor slumbers, and he's always prepared to act on our behalf. But I want you to see two other attributes of God that the text shows us. First of all, God's omniscience. Notice with me in chapter 6, verse number 1. On that night, on that night, that means that very night. Notice in the text right before that, the evil plan was put in place that very night. Who else would have known that but God? That's a sign of his omniscience, that he always knows what's going on in his kingdom, that there's nothing that catches God by surprise. That, That turn of phrase in the Hebrew means that God himself was awake, fully aware of what was taking place or about to take place. That's the omniscience of God, that he knows us, that he knows everything we do. And that his watchful eye is always on his people. Notice the second attribute of God that the text shows us. And that's the omnipotence of God. The fact that God can perform all his holy will. Notice again in the text it says, On that night the king could not sleep. One translation puts it like this. That God woke the king up that very night. Now of course that's not what the actual Hebrew says. That's implicit in the text, but what's implicit in the text, they made explicit. That it's God himself who woke the king up. That's who woke the king up. That's why the king could not sleep, because of the omnipotence of God. God poked him in the ribs and said, Ahasuerus, it's time to get up. You're sleeping a little bit too hard. But notice, again, the omnipotence of God. That at that exact moment, he ordered that the books of the memorable memorable deeds come. Now, if you know anything about Ahasuerus in this passage, you know that he's not a bookworm. He's a party animal. If anything, he would have said, bring me more wine. Or bring me another beautiful woman. Or bring me some entertainment. But in the providence of God and in the power of God, he said, bring me the books of the memorable deeds. And then notice on there, it said that after they brought him the book, they were read before the king. The verb there, read, means they were read all night to the king. Now, uh, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, you can just think about this. How many of you, if somebody was reading to you all night, you wouldn't fall asleep? I could tell you I would fall asleep, and I love to read. But in the providence of God, again, the power of God, this king, as he was being read to, stayed awake. Notice also again in verse number two, the power of God, that at the exact place where they were reading, it was a story of Mordecai and how he saved the king. Coincidence? I think not. That's the power of God, evidence within the passage. And then drop down and notice how the king acts, what has been done to honor Mordecai 
And uh, his, his uh, servant said, no, nothing has been done for him. Now, pause for a moment. I want to point something out to you. It's been five or six years since Mordecai saved the life of the king, and nothing has been done for him. You know what's interesting to me? That sometimes in our life we do things and we're never recognized for it. And you and I both know how discouraging that can be. There are some of you inside here today that have served faithfully and no one has never, ever pointed it out. There's some of you that have given and sacrificed and no one has ever pointed that out. There's some of you inside here today on your very job. You work tirelessly. There's so many things that you do that go unnoticed. And there's nothing more discouraging than when you work hard and you do the right thing that it goes unseen. But I also want to point out that while it went unseen by the king and his kingdom, it never went unseen by God. That's why the Christian is told to work as unto the Lord and not man. Why is that the case? Because man often overlooks one another's good deeds. That man often forgets to honor one another. Man often forget to say thank you. And we appreciate one another. And how grateful we are for the things that, are, that we do for one another. We often forget to do those things. But God never forgets. And the text says that even though it's been six years since Mordecai was mentioned or given any honor, it's now time for Mordecai to be honored. And there's a lesson in here for each and every one of us, and it's this. God rewards faithfulness in work. And so continue to be faithful, even though you might not uh, get rewarded. And I say that especially to moms. You know, moms get up in the morning and they fix breakfast and they prepare for their family. But every now and then, their work goes unnoticed. But God notices and he rewards in due time. And so continue the faithful work that you're doing. I say that also to teachers. We know how hard you work. We know how much you sacrifice, and sometimes that goes unnoticed, but it does not go unnoticed by the King of kings and Lord of lords. I say that to all of you. All of us have a story of how hard we've worked and how much we've sacrificed, and no one came to us and tapped us on the shoulder and said, good job. And that can be very discouraging. But I want to encourage you to continue to press on because we have a God that neither sleeps nor slumbers, but he's always there to reward us. And now notice the text said that the king realized that he hadn't, hadn't ordered or uh, hadn't given Mordecai a reward, and this was problematic to the king. All of this, by the way, was designed by God to happen at the exact moment. Why? To show forth the power of God in the midst of our lives. I love what Karen Job said in her commentary 
about this section. She said this, any deity worth his salt can do a miracle now and then. Our God is so great, so powerful, that he can work without miracles through ordinary events of billions of human lives, through millennia of time to accomplish his eternal purposes and ancient promises. Do you hear what she's saying? Because it's so powerful. She says God works through the ordinary events of each and every one of our lives. He doesn't need to do a spectacular miracle. He works amid the ordinary. You know, I, I wish I had heard that when I was growing up. See, I was a part of the generation that every time I went to the com- uh, commencement, somebody told me how awesome I was and how I was going to be something great in life. Anybody there with me? I mean, every commencement I went to or every event I went to when I was in school, you're awesome, you're going to be amazing, you're going to do great things. And you know what I quickly realized when I graduated college? That's a lie. (laughs) I'm not that awesome. And I probably won't do that great of things. And, And, you know, it's, I, I could tell you this. Let me pause for a moment because young people, you hear this all the time. Social media is ruinous when it comes to this because they make it seem like everyone has the potential to be great and do great things. You know, uh, I had a gentleman um, that I grew up with. He always used to say, you know, someone needs to be the dictator. Someone needs to be a little less awesome to get stuff done. And the fact of life is we live in a culture that tells us our lives have no meaning or no purpose unless we're doing some great thing. And I'm here to tell you today that that is simply wrong. The power of God is seen in the fact that God works through the ordinary, the simple little things. Think about your own life. I remember when I came to faith. Did I have an experience like Paul? Was I just walking down a road in the Bahamas and a great light shone and overwhelmed me? Absolutely not. I came to faith because a young lady who was cute um, invited me to church. And I went to church because of the young lady. And I left with God instead of the young lady. Amen. Because that's how we work. Think about your own salvation. Think about how you came to faith. Some of you, it was miraculous, but the vast majority of us, it was just the little things. We grew up in a covenant house. Somebody invited us to church. Somebody took an interest in our life. That's how you and I come to faith, through the ordinary. I think about even how I met my wife. I was in a job that I liked, got moved to another section to a job I didn't like, and then I met a cute young lady there. And I ended up marrying her. And then I left that awful job with the lady of my dreams. Because that's how God works. Through the mundane. You know, the greatest things that happen to us in our lives are the simple things. Because every moment that we live is infused with the omnipotence of God accomplishing his purposes in the here and now. Could you imagine Mordecai still faithful at the king's gate? Somebody wakes him up and says, Mordecai, the king wants to see you. And so he walks in, he's a little disheveled, and all of a sudden 
He's being uh, robes, king's robes are being put on him. Uh, the king's uh, a hat was being, or it's, uh, what do they call it? A crown was being put on him. He was being put on a king's horse, and he's being led through the streets. All of these things happen to me. He's like, what is going on? I was just sleeping a moment ago, but all of a sudden now I'm being honored. That's how God works. That's how God works. Keep being faithful. One day you wake up and all of a sudden you realize you're being honored by the king of kings and the lord of lords. You young people, strive to do the ordinary things well. Be faithful in school. Be a good friend to those around you. When you come to church, listen a bit and get a little bit of wisdom. You'll be surprised that in the aggregate, day after day, you'll see the Lord honoring a simple, quiet life. That's the power of faith. He elevates the lowly like Mordecai, and he elevates the lowly like us. Now, quickly notice Haman's stunning reversal of fortune. Now, when we're introduced to Haman in Esther chapter 3, we'll know. <laughs> We'll notice I created a monster. Anyway, uh, you'll notice that his reversal, his reversal of fortune happened as a result of an earthly king. And see, this is a contrast in the Bible. Whenever you read the Bible, if you want to understand Old Testament literature, have in the back of your mind, where's the contrast? Because there's a stunning contrast in this passage. Uh, notice Haman was promoted by the king in Esther chapter 3, verse number 1. Notice in verse number 10 that he was given the king's signet in order to destroy the Jews. And notice in chapter 5, verse number 11, he's given a place of honor by the king. All the promotions and then also... Uh, he was invited to the banquet, and he bragged about that. Haman was on top of the world, all because of the earthly king. If I could say it a different way, Haman keeps putting his faith in the wrong things. And you know what's interesting to me? We live in a world where people keep putting their faith Whether that be a political king, whether that be a boss king, or whether that be a friend king. And there's something interesting in this text, and it's easy to miss, but notice how much Haman wanted to please the king. He didn't just put his faith in the king, but he actually wanted to be the king. Remember, when he came to King Ahasuerus, he came for the express purpose of killing Mordecai. But immediately when the king said to him, hey, what shall be done to the man who the king delights to honor? Notice he quickly forgot why he came and immediately he said, well, who does the king want to honor more than me? 
And then notice what he does. And it's very easy for us as we read the narrative to miss this, but, but we see the contents of Haman's heart. Notice that everything that he said revolved around him becoming the king. Verse number eight, he says, first of all, let the royal robes be worn, which the king has worn. In other words, if it's me, I want to be you. So I want your clothing. Then in the same verse, he said, let the horse that the king has ridden on, let me ride on that. So he wanted the prestige of the king. Then he said, let a a head of royal crown be set on him and the robes and the horses be handed over to the king's most official nobles. In other words, let your servants become my servants and let them dress him and bring him out into the public square, meaning the same honor that you get, I want to get. Over and over again, Haman says, that I am not just content with having the power that I have, but I want the power that you have. Again, putting his faith in the wrong people. Now, there's a powerful lesson to be learned here, and again, I don't want us to miss it. Notice that in his quest to become like the king, he ends up becoming a slave. Verse number 10, then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse that you have said, and do so to Mordecai, for this is secret of the king's servants. In his quest to become the king, he ends up becoming the slave, the slave. And James and Peter, in both of their epistles, they said that God resisted the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, and if you remember, they, as they both quoted this, they're actually quoting Proverbs 3.34. And Proverbs 3.44 says something a slightly different. It said, to the scornful, I will be scornful. Well, what does that mean? Does God actually become scornful? No. The point of the text is simply this. And here's what, here's what God is saying. That you and I need to be careful because in our thirst for power, in our thirst to become or to get what it is that we want, we end up being destroyed by that very thing. Haman wanted to become the king, and instead he ended up becoming a slave. A dramatic reversal of fortunes. Now I want to end by pointing out three things. How do we see these divine reversals point out in the Christmas story? Well, the first is this. Christ being born signals a divine reversal for humanity. A divine reversal for humanity. No longer do we see humanity under a death sentence. Instead, we are recipients of the life and life more abundantly. When Jesus came to earth in the manger, he came to dwell with men, to be united with men, and to ultimately dwell in men, to completely change our circumstances from death to life. That's the first thing. The second thing, quickly, is this. That when Christ came to earth, he came to deliver us from, not only from the ultimate death, but he came 
to be our defender in the here and now. In those moments when you feel like Mordecai, when you feel attacked and criticized and overlooked and forgotten, remember that Jesus Christ is ever-present, that he will be your defender, that when you're attacked, he will defend you. When you're criticized, he will encourage you. When you're overlooked and forgotten, he will remember and validate you. That's his destiny. He will be Notice also in those moments of deep sadness and anguish, you have an ever-present Lord that provides comfort and encouragement. That's the message of the gospel. That in those moments you feel inadequate and depressed, remember that you have a God who has the power to reverse your own situation, to turn your mourning And the last thing I want to say is this. If you are lost in here today, I want to say, do not follow the path of Jesus. Ultimately, his divine reversal will lead to his death. We'll look at that in the next chapter. But instead, be like Mordecai, who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he relied on the Lord fully and completely to change the situation. He didn't even know. He didn't even know. And God did it anyway because he was faithful. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for these great divine reversals in human history. That by your power and your might, you worked in the mundane to bring about a glorious reversal of fortunes for your people. May we glory in that. Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.